and just the, this theme that has been on me, living in the light of the resurrection. How does the resurrection affect um, some of our lives? Paul says in Romans 1, he says, as much as is in me, I'm ready to share the gospel or to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. And um, I felt like that over the last few days. I, I sort of felt there's a whole lot here that I'm thinking about that I, I, ha it's, I haven't finished it as I'd like to. So I kind of thought, well, as much as is in me this morning, that's what you're going to get. You know, it might be like five minutes, it might be one thought, but um, it's been a crazy few weeks and uh, the last couple of days of particularly so. So Lord, we pray that even as you were working in worship, even as you were here before we arrived, we ask that you continue to touch us with your presence as we sang to remind us of your love and to show us how to live for you, Lord. So we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And let it touch our lives even today, Lord. Amen. So I've been just reading and reflecting on the, the first few verses of uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. But it's quite interesting. I mean, I was thinking of some of these things. And, you know, at the time of the resurrection, it's, it's almost like one of the first rumors that started was like, well, Jesus could never have been raised from the dead. But you know what happened. They stole his body. That's what they did. I mean, it's like this huge conspiracy. The disciples went and they, they got his body and they, they stole it. Um, and in actual fact, uh, the Romans, um, you know, put measures in place that that wouldn't happen. They rolled a stone across the tomb and they placed a guard outside and that. But needless to say, you know, as the, as the message and as... This um, the story of of Jesus resurrected, and even Paul said he was he was appearing to so many people, you know, and and even as that spread and the message spread through the then world, well, it's like well, you, it's like people thought, well, they must have just stolen the body, something like that. One of my favourite um, New Testament scholars, in actual fact, he passed away last year, James Dunn, writes an excellent thing, and he and and some of these historians have. They just have this theory and they say, you know, like, something must have happened. They say, like, you know, historically, something happened. Because these people lost their minds. Like, they, they, you know, they must have seen something. They must have encountered something. And the message that they spread was they encountered the risen Christ. That Jesus hadn't stayed in the grave, that he had appeared in the worst possible way at that stage, and hear me on this, but historically, 
at that age and that time, the worst possible way to spread that message was through women. Who Jews were, you know, a woman's testimony was worth nothing. It wasn't even, um, you know, valid in a, in a Jewish court of law. But the Christians were like, the women have seen her. The women were the first evangelists. Amazingly. And, and so, you know, so if you wanted to make this up, well, that was a bad place to start. Okay, start with a Roman centurion, or start with, you know, a prominent Jewish leader, or, you know, if you, something like that. But the, the and, and so, I mean, so James Dunn goes, it's like, you know, what is indisputable is that there were these, these followers of Jesus, and he says, and something happened that changed their lives that they were willing to lose livelihood, to be ostracized, to lose family, to be persecuted, to be aligned. Now think of the, the, the superpower of that day. They were prepared to align themselves with the traitor that was crucified. Why would you do that? It's, it's, you, why? Unless they saw something. Unless they encountered something. Something happened. And all we could say, well, the message that they spread, the story that they spread was, was this Jesus, who, who Roman historians and Jewish writers said was doing crazy stuff before he died. And now the craziness had continued. And interestingly now, one of our most prominent New Testament writers is a Jew, a Roman Jew, who made it his mission to eradicate the stupid idea. His mission was this is nonsense. We need to put a stop to it. That was his mission. Saul of Tarsus. That's what he was like. You know what? We're not going to put up with this. And what happens to him? Well, it's like the same message, the same story, the same risen Christ goes, hello, and now, he doesn't about turn. His whole world changes. And it's just amazing to, well, what would you gain from that? What you stand to win in terms of the lotto is crucifixion. That's what's on offer by changing your story. And he changed, he was like, well, I persecuted these people. And then eventually, the risen, exalted, ascended Lord said, enough, I can use you as well. And 
that's the story in Acts. And Paul, as a Jewish rabbi, spends years, takes time, and he, he, he has to rethink his whole theology. He goes off into the desert. He goes to Damascus. He, he spends time, and, he, and by the Spirit of God, that is now doing all kinds of things all over the place, not through Paul, by the Spirit of God, he, he realizes as a Jew what God has been doing throughout history. What happened at the fall, what happened at the flood, what happened in the, the, the tabernacle, what happened in the exodus, has all what happened through the prophets, what was promised, the expectation of Israel, of the Jewish people, has now been fulfilled. Once was a Jew, and now I'm a Jesus freak, or a Christian. He goes, no. He's like, this is one story. This thread that has, that has changed my life, it's, his whole worldview has changed. And it's changed how he lives. And he continues to live as a Jew. His favorite place to share this message is the synagogue. He's like, these oaks will get it. Because they've been reading the story. They've been singing these psalms. They've been listening to these prophets. So they'll get it. And many of them did. I mean, in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands. And the next, and thousands. And, but unfortunately, some of the important people, you know, the religious leaders of the day, it, well, it, well, it kind of it affected their livelihood and their prominence and their pocket and everything like that. And they didn't think it was such a great idea. And you think, well, gee, nothing's changed, has it? Human beings are the same, always have been. You know? But again, the, the amazing thing out of this is like, when you just, you know, we read, I'm going to read you a few sentences. But to put it in context... I mean, Paul has gone like, my world has been turned upside down. I now see how all of these pieces have come together. And now he goes around the Roman Empire. And he is so clever because he uses Jewish terms because he's preaching to Jews. He always he goes to a city, he goes to the synagogue. Every now and then he gets tossed out, and then he just has to keep sharing. Okay? But, but largely, the places that he went to, Colossae and Ephesus, like Asia, his first trip was to Asia Minor, was like a stronghold of the Roman Empire. And even where I visited before, the Caesar cult. There was a cult to Caesar. And he uses these, all, these same words. And he's like going, here is the real good news. Here is the real story. In the midst of our world, whether Jew or Gentile, here's this, here's the, this is the real deal. So let me read a few of these sentences, say a few more things, and then we pray. So, Paul says at the beginning of this one letter, 
It's very, very similar to a whole lot of other letters. It often starts off in, in the same way. But he says, Paul, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It says that to all these other places that he writes to. It happens to be like, well, historical context tells us he's probably writing from Ephesus. He's probably in jail. Timothy is with him. But he's an apostle by the will of God because it was not his idea. By Paul's will, he was an apostle to persecuting Christians. So he got, it's by the will of God and Timothy. He says to God's holy people, different translate, to the saints in Colossae, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And what, he, what I preached on last week, and I'm going to end with again this week because I just love it, is grace and peace to you from God our Father. And he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank him, God, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And the love that you have for all of God's people. So here's, here's this, like, this is miles away from Jerusalem. This is Asia, Asia Minor. And here are these believers. Here are these people that have come to worship Jesus. And he says, and it's the funniest thing, because they haven't joined a new book club or Tupperware club or bowls club or something like that. They, in the midst of emperor worship, all these other gods, or in the midst of, of you know, the Jewish religions, the, the synagogues and that, they've come to have faith in Christ. And Paul says, in actual fact, he says that they've come to believe. You have come to believe in Jesus. And that word is ambiguous, and it works both ways. He, he's, you've come to have faith in Christ, but, but it's faith or faithfulness. And scholars spend like the last 2,000 years saying, which way should we translate it? Because it's, they have become faithful in Christ. They've come to believe in Him and it's transformed their lives. How do we know? Because of their love for all the saints. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like going, wow. Okay, they're stretching the truth here, Paul. I mean, because that's, that's real revival. I mean, you just have to be a Christian for like more than a few weeks. And the rest of us are going, well, you know, we like to worship here at the vineyard. We don't like these people. You know, people join your home group and you like give them invitations to another home group. And, um, you know, like, it's like we love people. But not everybody. I mean, like, come on. You know, and I'm Paul, and I'm going, this is a revival. I mean, that's what they, what they experienced in these places, in Asia Minor, Turkey today, was revival. And you know, if you've ever been part of, like, revival for a week or a few weeks, and that, it is a bit like that. 
because it just, it like changes. You know, I, I've felt times like that. that it's like, if you ever, you've found times you can pray all day, you can worship all day, the whole world is going wonderfully. God is just amazing. Everyone is lovely. And I mean, so God does these things. And Paul's going, we've heard that you guys are wombats as well, basically. Because you come to believe in Jesus, that my dear, okay? You've been faithful to him and you're loving everybody. It's like there, it's, and this is what Paul unpacks and this is what we read about in the Gospels in the New Testament is that we're trusting that this message would change the way we live. That God's love demonstrated in Jesus, poured out in Jesus, that Jesus would go to the cross for our sakes, for our sin, to restore us to a relationship with the Father, that we, through His sacrifice, would know that God loves us and that we're now part of His family. And that's a cool message. That preaches quite easily. Okay? Especially if you add all the prosperity bits to it. And He wants to bless you and make you rich and healthy and wise and everything like that. But when it becomes like, it's like He wants to change you by His love, fill you with His love, that it overflows onto other people. That's not so easy. I mean, that's like, you're talking miraculous stuff now. And that, that's the message. God doesn't want to just love us. He wants to love us. We say, he wants to pour out his love on us. He wants to fill us with his love that we would love his whole world. Do you think I should end? <laughs> Give me a few more minutes. <coughs> Tony's sitting at the back going, I think you should end. <laughs> so I mean, that is, like, that is the radical, radical message. And you know, like I, I've said this, I keep saying it. You know, it's like when you think of the Jews, we always talk of the Jews as the chosen nation. They were God's chosen people. God hated the whole world, but he chose these people. You know, no, no. Go read Genesis again. Go read Genesis 12. God called out a people to be a blessing to the entire world, that the entire world would know who God is. And now Paul's going, it's the same story. It's like now, even where God had this chosen people, now the message has burst open like it was always going to, like it was always meant to. God had his whole world in mind. And now Paul's going, and it's happening. Because they're these crazy people all over this Roman Empire that are, and now the words that he uses, it's like, 
It's just, it's madness. Let me tell you, it's madness. It's like, because he's going, like, what Roman citizens are meant to do is they are meant to be, okay, and this is where it's like a two-hour service and I'll like try to wrap it up in 10 minutes. But it's like, Paul goes on here. I can't even read it all. He says, you heard of the gospel. The gospel of truth that came to you and it, it's increasing and it's abounding around the world. Now that is very naughty. That is very, very naughty. Because the euangelion was the gospel of Rome. And it, it's, it's basically in stereo. Because the same... The Greek translation of the Old Testament prophesied this in Isaiah about the good news. So wherever you read in Isaiah the good news, read Isaiah 40 to 55. Then go back and read from 1 to 55. I always say this. Then go back from Genesis 1 and then read that thing. But where you read, so where you read good news in Isaiah, the first translation of the Hebrew uses this word euangelion. So Jews were like the good news. The good news to us Jews and then to the world. And it's not always good. I mean, it's like... The world is an interesting place, as you just heard. But the good news was that the Messiah would come. God would send, in the words of Isaiah, His servant... God would send his special servant to bring and inaugurate and start bringing the good news. Now, inextricably, okay, you have this Roman Empire and these Caesars that don't read that story. And they also have a gospel. They use the same word, the euangelion. Okay, thousands of, uh, hundreds of years later, okay, kingdom of Rome has a message. And the message is the gospel. And the gospel is good news. And the good news is that Caesar is king. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that as our gods and as our might is blessed by all the different gods. And that's a very complicated story. We won't even get into that. It's like our kingdom is expanding. And we experience peace, which Paul prays, because of the good news. And the good news is we are so powerful and mighty that the hordes are on our borders and they cannot come in. And therefore we have peace. And to tell you that I'm not making all the story up, as I said this last week, is it was printed on the coins. And there was a cult um, called the Emperor Cult, because what happened after Julius Caesar, now I'm misbehaving, okay, I've got to watch my time, but what happened with Julius Caesar, this is the stuff we read in high school, okay, is that Caesar became so powerful, which was not the story of Rome. It's not what they wanted. But that Caesar became, almost he, he made himself, which it's kind of, it's in their mythology, but he kind of put a rubber stamp on it. He says, 
I have become like a God. So the good news is that we are powerful, that our kingdom is expanding, that we have peace because of Caesar. But Caesar, just before the Roman times, I mean before the the New Testament times, there was worship and sacrifices to Caesar. Started with old Julius, which is why he got the knife that he did, because he was trying to become too big. But now, this is just amazing. Julius has an adopted son. Okay, he adopts a son called Augustus. Okay? So Augustus becomes... Caesar. No. Son of God. So, like, so we read in the New Testament, Jesus is the Son of God. It's like, it's all... It's, it's all... It's all Paul trying to get, lose his head, basically. Okay? Because literally, the most powerful emperor, the one that was the one that, if you go to Rome, if you go to Italy, the, the bust that you see most often and the most celebrated Caesar was Augustus. Julius lost his popularity, but Augustus, I mean, he became this powerful guy. And so even when the Caesars came after him, they were all trying to be like him. And it's just, I mean, it's like, it's amazing because not only was Caesar God, but this dude was the son of God. And now God himself. So it, it's just, I mean, it is so exciting. I mean, I just look at this and I go, how can you not love history? Hey, how can you not just study this stuff? Because it just brings like another whole, and, and I'd go, that's incredible. So Paul says, and we, we're going to end with this a half an hour ago. And Paul says, grace to you and peace. And then think, he's, he's saying, Paul's most favorite greeting in everywhere is grace and peace. Because his message and his worldview has completely changed. It would have just been shalom. Hello, God bless you. But now it's become this fa- We know what that is. We know the peace of the empire. We know the peace of Rome. And even, you read Asterix and Oblix as kids, the Pax Romano. This is the gospel. And he's going, we know this. He says, says, but grace, favor, is not from the consuls. It's not from the praetorium in your area. It's not from Caesar. Favor, unmerited, unbelievable, favor is from God our Father. And peace, it's like peace, oh please, it's like peace that pervades our hearts, that changes our lives, that changes the way we live. It's got nothing to do with the borders. The peace of Rome was brutality and oppression. The peace of Rome was crucifixion. It's like their their peace was, behave yourself, because we leave these people in the streets. And that's, that's why. That was their peace. And, and God took 
that picture and made it the sacrifice and the defining moment of history. That the sign of the most brutal crucifixion, you know, it was was so brutal. The Romans didn't even invent this. The Persians invented it. The Romans then, they said, you know, the Romans perfected it. That's how bad it was. And that has become the symbol of God's saving power for us. That the peace of God for the Jews, shalom and blessing and favor and his presence would not just be on our nation, but in our hearts, and it would change our lives, that it would, it would affect the way I behave at a four-way stop in load shedding. Now, that's miraculous. Okay. When you're having your nap on a Sunday afternoon, and the guy up the road hasn't sold his last broom or feather duster. You know, it's like... And, and the thing that every robot we go to, there's someone else asking for money, and there's people asking for, for, for money in that. And, and like Paul's going, well, it's a problem, this message. Because it's going to change the way you live. And peace will pervade our hearts and our minds. And favor that is unimaginable is going to permeate our lives. That Paul writes to other believers and he says, you've become these letters. This, you've become this aroma even. He starts using these different words like you guys are you're something that begins to affect the atmosphere where you live and work and shop. So in the midst of your crazy week, and in the midst of stuff that we are anxious about or angry about, I have a list of things I get angry about. (laughs) And things that we get anxious about. so Elsa was praying, as we prayed before the service, Elsa, the thing that Elsa kept praying is that where people are even experiencing trauma. You know, when our, sometimes, in our, sometimes we're so stressed that our bodies aren't working properly. And sometimes our bodies are out of sync because we're sick or they just anxious about everything. And so when, when we say grace and peace, that's, it's more than just hello, you know, or I don't know, sense or whatever. It's, it's meant to be this blessing that God's presence would affect our minds, our hearts, our lives, and that we would live peacefully. So I'm still struggling with that, but that's why I'm preaching it, because this week, that's what I need. I sat with my nephew, like, trying to phone my brother, wouldn't answer the phone, because he's a heathen, okay? 
And then messaging, and you know, sometimes you're just so worried, you want to take that phone and smash it against the wall. Because, like, I'm not getting the answers I want. And you know, the amount of times in the last few days, I just thought, just sit down and just pray. Just, just pray. And just experience His, his presence and His peace. Because we all get anxious and agitated, and that's what, that's what I need. And when the ESCOM guy comes into the house and I'm going, Christ is risen, the kingdom has come. And then he walks away going, I can't fix your problem. You know, what comes out? In our house, it's normally a foreign language, okay? <laughs> but then I'm going, I sit on the bed and I sit and I go, your peace is meant to pervade my heart. So that's, that's where this has just been real for me the last few days. Because otherwise I go out of my mind. Yeah. So open your hearts, open your hands, and receive his peace. We say shalom. We bless you, we speak the grace that is given by our Father through His Son, the Son of God. <laughs> Thank you, your risen Son. We speak grace, favor, and freedom. Where you have felt hemmed in and like pressed from all sides, we speak the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I often I feel it like grace sometimes just gives me space. We speak your grace grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We speak peace, which is the presence of the risen Jesus. Jesus, you're the prince of peace. You're the king. You're the Caesar of peace. So we ask that your peace would, would you touch our minds and our nervous system. Would you, those of us that are struggling with anxiety or depression, we say shalom to your entire nervous system. Shalom, receive the peace of God. And I'd say receive it now by the Spirit of God, by the presence of God. Say, yes, Lord, I, this is, I need this now. And we receive your peace, Lord Jesus. Where you, there are people here, there are people that are anxious about work. Okay, most of us are often anxious about work. 
anxious about people and families and health and finances. We speak the peace that only Jesus brings, Lord.